This episode is brought to you by Safe Catch Elite, the lowest mercury tuna of any brand. Safe Catch is the only brand that tests every fish and is paleo certified. Safe Catch Elite averages four times less mercury than even wild planet tuna. For tuna with amazing purity and amazing taste, go to safecatch.com primal and receive 20% off your first order. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement. Available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, Brad Kearns. Welcome to another dual host show from the secret Malibu studios of L. Russ and Brad Kearns. Thank you for joining us again. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, L, that was. Um, that was a nice show that we did uh, previously, talking about burnout, talking about vitamin D segue, and we. Now we're gonna get personal. A little yeah. Bit. So yeah. now we're kind of. Um, I'm looking through some of the uh, listener comments with some very insightful questions, which I always appreciate. And so I thought we would hit some of these one-off topics, perhaps let you ramble on about some of your own personal um, health realizations and challenges you had. So it'll kind of be a, a lively show where we transition from one thing to the next, which I know you're skilled at. So, oh, you know, one thing I wanted to say about the previous show, I said this after we, um, we signed off, when we were talking about burnout and the adrenal glands being exhausted and, and fatigued and not producing the hormones right. And this is from, Dr. Kate said this on a show a long time ago, and it stuck with me because you get this perception that this part of your body, this organ is wrong, it's not working, and so you have a bad adrenal glands. And she made the distinction that there's really nothing wrong with that part of your body. It's the stimulation that you're giving it, the lifestyle circumstances that you've placed yourself under that is overtaxing your adrenals and causing them to underproduce important hormones. Right. It's your actions that are distressing the adrenals. Your adrenals aren't suddenly becoming faulty. So and the that's problem, a really way to look at it because it's yeah. ultimate responsibility. <laughs> no, it is. Right, it's yeah. right. you're, you're responsible uh-huh. for your organ Oh, uh, no, that's but... big. That's huge. Uh, because I think we default into this blame or victim state Look where we say, me. No, uh, you did it to you. Yeah. I have type 2 diabetes. My pancreas is screwed up now and I need shots and I need this and I need that. And I love that you said that because in Mark's transformational seminar, he talks at one point about, you know, type 2 diabetes is your body trying to save your life. It's trying to help you. Okay. Same with shutting down your adrenal glands as well. I mean, it's trying to sa- save you in certain circumstances and you need to look at how you are, what messages you're sending. Right. I mentioned, um, you know, John F. Kennedy had If you don't Addison's... have a faulty pancreas when you have type 2 diabetes, right, right. You, you've pushed it to a right. limit yeah. that became a faulty pancreas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, President Kennedy had Addison's disease, the, the total dysfunction of the adrenal glands. And so he got shot up constantly with uh, cortisone. Yeah. Right. And so um, what about if he had gone on... Uh, vacation where he did some uh, deep breathing meditation, healthy eating, and, and got rid of all that stress. You know, maybe his adrenals weren't in the in the tank after all. But what are you going to do when you're taking these injections? Which each injection you take is sending you further down the road. Of dependency with, uh, on that injection. Same with a simple non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, uh, yeah. popping a pill of ibuprofen, which we do routinely. That is compromising your body's own natural ability to regulate inflammation because what it's doing is suppressing the inflammatory process. So there's always a... Putting a band-aid on the symptom instead right. of getting to the root. And we're all about the root is already in there. You've got the answers in you most of the time. I mean, there are people with Addison's who are too far gone where they have to live off of hydrocortisone and might not ever get off of it. And they just call that HC for short. But for the most part, some people actually who have some adrenal serious fatigue can supplement with HC get to a point where they're good, and then wean off of it and have their adrenals come back. It's not always a lose-lose situation there. But like you said, how do we know? Maybe the Addison's was caused by his lifestyle, and maybe he could have changed it around. Either way, let's, you know, ultimate responsibility, unless you were born with a faulty, you know, system. Very few. And same with uh, the people in the hospital in Primal Prescription, Doug McGuff's uh, citing these stats that, you know, 
most of the patients in there are due to lifestyle-driven problems or stupid mistakes or add this or add that. And then you have one hemophiliac out of a thousand that's, you know, screwed. And unfortunately, um, you know, those and are one the, problem begets another. So you, right, you, right. so you're acting in a way that your adrenals are getting sort of overtaxed. Then your thyroid is going to get overtaxed, possibly shut down. And same with your sex hormones. And nice segue into Brad's testosterone results. <laughs> no, but seriously, I want to talk to you about this because this is you are an amazing example of someone who, by just looking at the burnout and chilling out and doing the right things with supplements and looking at some just naturopathic type of things, you were doing salt too. Your testosterone went from crappy to high school level of awesomeness within only like three or four months, right? Um, yeah, let's say five months or something. And so... And you're 50. 50? Jeez, I am. You, so, God, yeah. If you guys, for those of you who have not met Brad, you would not believe that he's 50. <laughs> some might him. think I'm 60 and some might think <laughs> otherwise. Yeah. Your personality is 13. But, That's, uh, I've heard that before. Yeah. But seriously, yeah. this is what's really amazing is that, you know, just because someone says, oh my gosh, your testosterone results are low, that is not, let's run to the store to the doctor, to the, Let's to the run home. to Mexico. Let's run to Mexico. Tijuana Farmacia. Or don't call, you know, Schwarzenegger and get his, like, you know, HGH testosterone hookup or whatever. But seriously, it can come back naturally. Most doctors would say, though, or might suggest, like, oh, well, you're 50. This is when testosterone gets depleted. Nah, you know, that's still in the too young, maybe, age. Always worth to see whether it's going to come back naturally. So you had some burnout. And I had that a burnout. I got tested in May of 2015, and my free testosterone, which is the most relevant one, the one that's really working, was uh, 5.8, which is flagged as clinically low. So if I was at an anti-aging doc, I would have been dispensed with medication. And uh, after lifestyle modification over the summer, um, I tested again, and it was at uh, 14 or 15 with the serum testosterone up at 1,000, which is you know off the charts for a 50-year-old guy. And most interesting to me was the comparison to the levels that I tested when I was a professional athlete, ages 20 to 30, and seemingly a picture of health, definitely a picture of fitness and racing very fast. But my testosterone ranged from 200 to 300 at that time because it was constantly suppressed by high cortisol production, overly stressful lifestyle, too much training, too much traveling. And I was basically hanging on by a thread. And that's why, by the way, um, the endurance athletes get so much of a benefit from jamming those uh, steroids down and the blood products because they're otherwise suppressing all those levels with their hard training. And that reflected in also my hematocrit. Just for a, a little doping aside, uh, whenever I was burnt out, I'd go get tested in the lab. My brother worked in the lab. I got a lot of testing done during my time. And everything would drop down to um, clinically low levels, and I would have to go home and rest and sleep and, and you know recover and interrupt that constant progression of training that a doped up athlete has. And that was the natural way to address these difficult, challenging sports. And I got as good as I could, but had I been a doped off my ass, I guarantee you I would have won every race jogging to the finish line because it makes such a difference to have that you know artificial mode of boosting yourself up. So those of us not interested in doping and competing, getting tested and getting uh, brought down by the feds, um, we want to raise that testosterone naturally. It's a huge industry for males, you know, once they hit 40 or whatever. Um, it's not that hard. I didn't do anything tricky. I just slowed the F down with my training and my heart rate and, uh, and just got some and slept more and, routine. you know, yeah. took, took some simple supplements and allowed the body to do what it really wants to do, which is be healthy. And let's talk about the primal perspective on that. So guys who are out there, a couple things. Testosterone, if you are super sleepy and your lean muscle mass is decreasing and you're feeling a little doughy, that's usually a sign of low testosterone in men. In women, a low testosterone would also be lack of lean muscle mass, but it would also manifest itself in personality. So if anyone's heard me on the podcast, uh, if you were a hormone doctor, you would be listening and say, she probably has high testosterone. I'm a really strong-headed female. I'm Kind really? Of that's what type. they say about you? <laughs> that's what they say about, they say about you at the grocery store? Well, you can store. start to tell in personality, and I'm more of an alpha than a beta. I have higher testosterone. Did you yeah. beat me at arm wrestling then? Is that Definitely possible? not. <laughs> Let's do it after. Yeah. But but here's the thing. Um, testosterone is very important to women, too. I've also had low testosterone. If you're not feeling as strong-willed and strong-headed, there are actually hormone doctors who have given testosterone to women who are, like, are in very professional situations where they don't feel like they can speak up. 
or they don't feel like they can take charge. So it's really important to both of us. Obviously, you as a man need more than I do, but if you're noticing any of those symptoms on either side. But let's look at the primal perspective, at least for guys. So you're overworking out. Your body literally is taking either overworking out or just stress or lack of sleep. It could be any lifestyle stresses. Your body looks at it and goes, this dude is not going to procreate. We are not going to. We are taking the testosterone down so we can lower, right? Probably sperm count. I'm sure that's related to it, but certainly sex drive and other things. So it's your body's way of trying to save you, but you are kicking yourself in the butt without realizing it. If you guys want the highest testosterone that you can possibly manufacture on your own, you need to look at all of these lifestyle components. It's not just the primal way of living. It really is the over-exercising and everything else that you just said you've even looked at on the blood results from back when you were an athlete to even now. And within five months, it went from really low, dangerous, up to high high school levels at the age of 50. It doesn't take long. It takes a couple months. You can do it on your own, though, and it's always worth a try before jumping in and taking a hormone that now you kind of have to take every day. The moment you start taking testosterone, your body shuts its own production down because it notices it in the blood. Now, the reason Brad said free testosterone is the most important, free T3, free this, free that, is because it's free, unbound, and available in the bloodstream. And it usually is the test that corresponds directly with how one is feeling. Just so everyone knows out there, that is why that's kind of sometimes more important than total testosterone or this and that and the other. With all kind of blood tests, when we see free in front of it. That's interesting. You go to that uh, reproductive angle, the deep in our genetics. That's our basically our purpose here. It is. It's here. very primal. Yeah. All of this is so primal. Yeah. Um, I know um, Ron Rosedale, the leptin expert, talks about that at length on some of his podcasts, which is really interesting. Leptin is the um, known as the uh, satiety hormone or the fat storage hormone, and he argues that this is, you know, this is the the, the king of all hormones, and it's so important because it's it's designed to set us to be fit for reproduction. And so if you're in that overstressed, depleted state, doing too many hot yoga classes and eating too much sugar, whatever, um, your leptin signaling is going to predispose you to adding fat because for a female, adding fat uh, equates with reproductive success and eating more. So the appetite increases and the propensity to store fat increases because you are not fit for reproduction because you're overstressed and burnt out. So that's why we say- why women who get anorexic or bulimics and things like that, they- have issues menstrually all the time. Either period will stop entirely or they can't get pregnant or they have miscarriages. It's because your body, your primal, the primal perspective is saying, you ain't in any position to have a kid, yo. You stressed out. How are you going to, and you're starving, right? Right, And you're starving. So until you solve that, you can't feed anyone else and you certainly can't handle a baby. This is what's going on behind the scenes in your body. You have to always be aware that there is, this is not just a gimmick primal about like, uh, do this diet and it'll manipulate your body. It's really how we're designed. It's it, it, And it makes sense. And same with th- thyroid, and we'll get to that later. Um, Want to touch on anything more regarding testosterone and your burnout before we move on? Or No, that's good. Just uh, uh, slow down if you're exercising too hard, get enough sleep. Um, I'm a, I'm a professional world-class napper now sometime, or most of the time it's only 20 minutes, but that 20 minutes makes a huge difference. And that's when you get a lot of restoration, especially if you need a nap and feel like taking a nap, uh, I wake up and sometimes I think it's morning after only 20, 30 minutes. So, um, simple, (laughs) simple little changes to make. And it's all in the name of peak performance and being more productive. So you can't argue against it saying you're too busy to, uh, whatever, and especially turning off the screens at night. That's one of my big champion uh, causes now, especially with my kids and teenagers needing a lot of sleep. It's so easy to fire up that thing and get into your Netflix queue and be wonderfully entertained until the end of time. I mean, we're never going to be able to watch all the production that comes out, the right, entertainment. It's one in the morning, you're on yeah. episode 13. And, and, you know, it's a matter of I'm, I'm, uh, I enjoy instant gratification as much as anybody else. And it's a matter of closing that screen knowing that the next morning you're going to be thankful and you're going to feel better for it um, and, and making simple decisions like that. Let's move into insulin resistance and HbA1c tests because I, like Brad, had a testosterone problem. I had suspected, even though I had gone primal and been primal, I had suspected that I might have some lingering insulin resistance from my bouts of hypothyroidism. Usually people are hypothyroid for an undiagnosed period of time often have this and it needs to be corrected. It's also why a lot of people who eventually get their thyroids worked out, whether naturally or through hormone replacement therapy, then have a tough time losing the weight. 
But here's the thing. Uh, with me, I noticed that even though I was under 150 carbs every day, and that's a rule of thumb by how we all speak and, you know, in the Primal Blueprint, it may not be for you. And if you're really concerned about whether or not you can process carbs, get the HbA1c test. It's sort of a pre-diabetic test. And Dr. Gary Forsman, who was on the podcast, I think it's number 75 on the Primal Blueprint podcast, mentioned that anything above 5.2 not only is indicative of some you know, pre-diabetic situation, but it's also really increases your risk of cancers and other issues by 200%. And it's really an alarming thing. So I had suspected that I had an issue. I did my DNA fit. It said I had a very, very low tolerance for carbohydrates, which I was not totally surprised about in general. But then I really noticed that if I went really over 50, 60 carbs a day, I'd gain fat. And I was like, what's happening here? Do I have to go into ketosis? What's going on? So I did get the HbA1c test. It was slightly elevated. HbA1c for listeners is... It's a three-month glucose tolerance or glucose test, I guess is what right. they call it. Right, so you it. have your glucose. The diabetics prick their finger and they get their blood, blood glucose reading and it wants to be under 100. And we're all familiar with that fasting glucose reading, which you can take any time. But the HbA1c is indicative of the long-term level of glucose in your blood. So it's a, it's a snapshot being glucose and HbA1c is more of a painting of right. what's your lifestyle like. And, and you can't go yeah. by just the morning glucose fasting to, to decide whether or not you might have insulin resistance. So, you know, now I'm armed with more knowledge. It was like, okay, I was kind of feeling this already. Now I really know. And in order to really nip this thing in the bud and get super, and, and I'm, you know, and here's the thing. I'm not walking around some huge obese person. You can be actually skinny fat and have, you know, this happen to you. I mean, I'm normal weight, but the thing is, is like, no one wants to struggle. Until you nip it in the bud, though, it will never get better. So, you know, I have to do, major low carb right now and no sugar, like zero. There's not even room to cheat right now until those get down. Um, so if anyone, again, is really concerned about being insulin resistant and you feel like you really can't handle carbs, then HbA1c, and again, anything above 5.2 is a concern and is something you need to look at. But again, each everyone's different. The kind of carbs that Brad can consume versus myself or even anyone else, just under 150 is certainly a benchmark and something to look at. But for you, it might be lower. You might even be able to tolerate more. It just really depends. And you're going to have to figure that out yourself. So if things aren't working for you, mm. you know, if you've gotten primal, you need to look at the carbs. And we've already talked about it before. You need to look at overeating protein. It's, you know, or not enough fat. There's one component of the three that usually is off or all that's right. And the person's overexercising. But what I've noticed with a lot of coaching is that there's one element that's off. Either someone's running 30 hours a week and doing everything else right or they're not eating enough fat, or they're, you know, they're still eating too much carbs for them. You know, I'm 5'2 female. You got to think about, I, I probably can't consume as much as a guy who's 6'5 and 220. You know what I mean? So anyway, just a thought there. But if anyone's really concerned about whether they can't handle carbs, that's the test. Interesting. Uh, Denise Minger was talking to me about this uh, recently, where the genetics of tolerating carbs are quite disparate. And it's like the number of copies of the amylase gene, the enzyme that helps break down carbs, some people are bestowed with a wonderful ability to tolerate a pint of Ben and Jerry's and, you know, get up from the the, the, the couch and walk around and, and uh, mop the floor. And some people get slammed pretty hard. And one way to determine what your carb sensitivity is or your level of carb tolerance is um, checking on your excess body fat. Right. And energy. Well, right. And, and that energy. was the problem is yeah. that I was very hard for me to lose some of this last, like the last seven, the last 10. It was getting really difficult. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong? I'm primal. I'm doing this than the other. And I'm not over exercising. And it was just the carbs. Mm -hmm. You know, I just been like, oh, anything under 150 works. Well, not for me. Yeah. And so I'm glad I went and did the testing. It was something that I really felt I, I knew in my heart something was wrong. And I remember I was telling Mark about the results. He goes, well, now you know. Now you know. You know, now you know. Now you're armed with it. Now I'm not going to probably cheat like I might have before without mm. the knowledge, right? Yeah. Because now I'm going, uh-uh. No, this is a pre-diabetic kind of mm. scenario. Mm -hmm. And no way. There, it's just not going to happen. Whereas before, when I sort of knew or suspected or whatever, you might have some, you know, well, might go over that carb count that day. Not anymore. And what I can tell you from personal experience is that my level of mental energy and energy in general was already pretty awesome. Now it's just a whole nother level for me with, mm. with being extra low carb. Mm. It's, just, um, it's really, it's really phenomenal. And so I love it. 
your healing, uh, obviously. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I know Mark's been hit with this question many times at seminars where people are like, hey, I'm doing everything right and I'm not losing the fat. Uh, you know, I'm under 150 grams a day or whatever the, the thing is. Um, and he uses this term metabolic damage. So you've been eating for three decades or four decades right. like crap, standard American diet, grain based with plenty of sodas, sugars and breads and cereals and pastas and rice. That's pretty hard on the body. And it might or take you. Or even just exercising. Right? You're you're depleting yourself and then slamming down more and more sugar to try to recover from chronic exercise. Um, so I think the the salient point is like, hey man, it might take you five years of eating primally to really kick into maximum results and uh, you know peak enjoyment of the primal lifestyle because of all the damage you've done to your body. And it's not fair, and it's not you know some people you see the guys on the website or wherever where. You know, they're going from a pony keg to a six pack in six weeks of eating primarily. Thanks, Mark Stingley Apple. I feel great. Look at my body. Well, good for them. And then some people have been going for three years. The, 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 the person's girlfriend in many cases where it's like, God damn, you know, I've put on one pound this year because I eat more bacon. Um, but the point is, like you said, what about those other factors where you have more mental clarity, you have fewer colds during the year and all those other byproducts of eating healthy, nutritious foods? And, and letting the you know the fat reduction come in due time after you after you go through that healing process of getting getting your body right. Yeah, you you can't just go two months primal and expect to be totally insulin insulin sensitive after you know. And by the way, for those out there, if you really have been doing everything right and you've even really gauged the carbs for you kind of situation and you're still not losing weight. That is time to look into some thyroid stuff. If you're really doing uh, it's everything, time to look into some alcohol <laughs> stuff, huh, Al? Alcohol. Brad and L's favorite topic. <laughs> How many glasses of mixed drinks do you have every evening, in addition to your bacon in the morning and a salad for lunch and a steak for dinner? Um, but on a serious note, we'll put no, a little you're, aside you're, in here. You're right about that on um, alcohol. And Brad and I yeah. are not drinkers, so you're listening to people that just are not a fan. But that is a, a killer when it comes to the weight stuff. And as we know. Literally, when you get the munchies after drinking, that's not that's not just a, an illusion. That is a chemical thing that goes on. You, right. You're not just imagining things. Well, here, so here's what's going on. You're, yeah, you tell them. You're, um, you know, the, the, the alcohol gets converted into ethanol and burned immediately. So it's the first to burn source of calories. Everything else is put on hold. And that means that Drink down an empty your <laughs> bloodstream, no shit, yeah. uh, your bloodstream is being depleted of glucose while you're burning off that alcohol and you will get the munchies. Um, not only that, because you don't have any other burning ability because you're, you're processing alcohol, where do those ingested carbs go when you ingest that mixed drink? They go into conversion into fat storage. So uh, people make the mistake of thinking that alcohol itself is turned into sugar and it's fattening or whatever. It's really what it does to the other ingested calories that you consume with it. And your brain. So not right. only is it taking the stuff it can't work on at the moment and turning it into fat and things you don't want, but then you're, it's actually like making you crave more food that then will also go to the places yeah. it shouldn't. Yeah. So Elle's uh, uh, flippant comment there, consume alcohol without any other sources of calories. Enjoy it in moderation, right? Have your shot of tequila or whatever you want. But if you're um, not getting where you need to go and you're a regular two glass of wine drinker, you hey. probably won't. And if you have to go really low, low carb into ketosis, not a good mix. Alcohol mm. and super low carb, really not a good mix oh. because you're barely consuming any carbs. You know, at that point, if you're below 50, let's say on most low carb, super low carb diets, alcohol is just a, a wrench you're throwing you're thirsty you know, it's a losing game and it's a tricky game i think it's too tricky so i hate to tell the drinkers out there i'm not saying you should move to some other substances i mean thc doesn't have any calories i'm not pushing it but i'm just saying you got to cut down the alcohol or chill it out um it might be something you really need to look at so you listeners in colorado washington ohio whatever <laughs> or california uh, Go to your local dispensary. Um, but yeah. interestingly, you'll see in the next Primal Blueprint, which is the comprehensive update, revision, expansion of the original book. For oh. the first time, Mark's been, um, you know, hitting it Is heavy. Is a chapter on weed or what? Uh, well, no, we're taking the um, concept of alcohol as a sensible indulgence, which it first started out as, along with right. red wine and dark chocolate was the Primal Blueprint enjoyment. And we had those festive occasions at Primal Con where we busted out wine and dark chocolate and everybody enjoyed it. Um, and it's being rethought and repositioned as law number two, avoid poisonous things because alcohol is in fact a toxin. And I think 
you and I can take credit for cornering Mark and uh, putting some some thoughts into his head. And then on his own, interestingly enough... You know, the promotion of alcohol is everywhere. And as a non-drinker, right, it's right. so crazy. It's everywhere. It's like on every dramatic TV show, maybe a main character might have their... They sit through a glass of wine every night and then everyone at home is drinking wine. I've seen this on sitcoms and shows and I'm like, man, alcohol is pushed everywhere. If they did this with anything else, it would be, you know, illegal. And I'm not opposed to drinking. I had a mimosa on, on, on New Year's Eve, but I just don't like it. It's never been my thing. Um, I, it also does make me bloated. I get broken. I mean, I feel the effects of the toxicity so much so versus even THC, let's say. Um and I'm not advocating that, or, or certainly smoking anything is, is never good for the lungs. But, you know, there are alternatives out there. Um, so I think what, what became of this was Mark and the Primal Blueprint realized that there's no need to promote or encourage people to drink something that is, in fact, a poison. So rather than stand here in judgment, and we know how important alcohol is as a centerpiece to culture, we just wanted to dispense some additional commentary that, A... This stuff is going to mess up your weight loss goals. And if you want to count how many glasses of wine did you consume in 2015 and how are you doing with that seven pounds of excess body fat, that is your seven pounds of excess body fat right there. All your mixed drinks, wine, shots, whatever, add it up, put it in a One barrel and measure One glass of wine a day, it. I think, towards the end of the month is like an extra, I don't know how many calories, but it's, yeah, it's yeah. substantial. Um, but what Mark did on his own was do that experiment, which he wrote about on Mark's Daily Apple. There's a couple posts where you can type in... Uh, alcohol experiment or something where he abstained and realized that um, some of this breaking research that alcohol consumption is related to leaky gut in sensitive people like Mark is, he realized that it was making his intestinal issues worse and also compromising his sleep. And so um, the, the net effect, if you're not going to go read the post, I recommend it. But he said, you know, alcohol was a way for him to de-stress at the end of a busy, stressful workday. Imagine that. Uh, you know, and using alcohol that, for that. But you need to yeah. find another outlet, he gets it especially, if you have to achieve a goal. Yeah, he gets it especially so because he worked with me and, and you. So he's way more stressed than the average executive. But um, he <laughs> realized that he was using that beverage as a crutch when, in fact, there are many other ways, such as walking his lovely new dog around the block or uh, chatting quietly or enjoying uh, maybe the dark chocolate without the red wine, that kind of thing. So that's our, that's our updated stance on alcohol. Hey, it's Brad Kearns here to talk some tuna with you. The episode is brought to you by Safe Catch Elite, a new paleo-certified tuna that has four times less mercury than even wild planet tuna. That's why Safe Catch Elite is the official tuna of the American Pregnancy Association. It's all possible because Safe Catch Elite tests every tuna to strict mercury limits and no other brand does this. Safe Catch Elite tastes amazing and retains all of the vital nutrients because they hand cut and hand pack each tuna raw and then slow cook it in the can. Safe Catch is about more than better tuna. They're proud partners of the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch program and work to protect purity in the oceans. Go to safecatch.com primal and receive 20% off your first order. That's safecatch.com primal. Try out some tuna and make it in a salad with the primal kitchen mayo. Delicious. What else you got? Well, I want to speak on the subject of dark chocolate. So let's just say you're doing everything you can. You really are doing everything right. And you just can't see any reason why you're not succeeding. Something I learned about recently and I was very fascinated by uh, is food sensitivity tests. These are not oh food allergy gosh, tests. Yeah. So I went and got a food sensitivity test because uh, Dr. Gary Forsman on my book and he was on our show suggested that I might want to try it because I had at the time we, we saw the HbA1c was elevated and we thought okay well there might be some stuff going on here and I just wanted to get to the bottom of everything well it turns out on this list what they do severe you know moderate minor tolerance and then sort of you can eat all of these foods now again it's not an allergy test like there was a food on this sensitivity test that said I could eat it and I'm actually really allergic to just shellfish so Again, you can look up ALCAT. It's A-L-C-A-T, the ALCAT test. It's a food sensitivity test. But food sensitivities can be things that we don't even feel symptoms of reaction to, but could be causing underlying inflammation. So if you're having inflammation issues by blood tests or lifestyle, like you're noticing it, or you're not losing weight, which is you know inflammatory to some degree, here's where I was blown, just blown away. The one thing I had on my severe intolerance list was cocoa. 
Well, well, you know, (laughs) not a bummer once you find out it might be contributing to stuff. Well, I was eating dark chocolate every night because it's primal. Mm -hmm. I was, in fact, as a kid, I hated chocolate. That might have been an indication, right? Because I talked to you about that. I was like, oh, it's interesting. When I look back as a kid, I hated chocolate ice cream, chocolate cake, anything chocolate. I wanted nothing to do with it. As I got older, I sort of got a taste for it. And because it's primal, I would go to that versus ice cream or, you know, anything else. And here I was eating, you know, I even, I'd even whip up some heavy whipping cream and just sprinkle cocoa on the sucker. I mean, I was probably consuming it every day in some capacity. And you know what? Now I'm glad I took that test. If there's something to that, and there clearly is because people have seen it and there's success stories all over the internet, but also doctors are suggesting this because there's something to it. So if you really feel you're doing everything and you want to look further that's something you might want to look into. Again, it's called the LCAT test, A-L-C-A-T. How much does it cost? Um, insurance does cover that if it's, you know, coded right by the doctor, I believe. But I think if you pay out of pocket, it could be probably five to seven hundred. It's a pricey one. Ooh, it's a pricey one. But again, if you have like unexplainable itching all everybody or something, you know, I mean, there might be a symptom. You, I have a friend who just told me that for three years they've been on antihistamine every night. I'm like, what are you doing? Get to the bottom of that. You know what I mean? Like there's something causing that. Don't just take the Band-Aid that's the Benadryl every night. You know, if you're itching every day, there might be something you don't even know is causing you a problem. Now, some allergies are very obvious, right? Like if I eat too much garlic, I will projectile vomit. Like I will just, wow. it's just, I just can't handle it. But there are most things I have an iron stomach about. I would have never guessed cocoa. I don't feel any type of negative reaction to it. But now that I know. Stop. Completely. Except for New Year's Eve, uh, they had some hazelnut (laughs) chocolate. Sounds like I missed a good party down here. Yeah, you did. (laughs) I mean, the primal primal company party was rocking with all those delicious foods. Oh my god, it was totally rocking. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, I did. I had like a bite of chocolate on New Year's because it was like, well, I mean, at this point, I've had you know mimosa and whatever, you know, whatever. This point, you know, once a year. I mean, I had stuffing on Thanksgiving. I'm totally don't eat grains, but it's Thanksgiving. Screw it. It's one of my favorite (laughs) things that I kind of do want to cheat every year. Um, so anyway, food sensitivity testing might be something to look into if you've got some unexplained issues or you're really just not losing the weight, you've got some inflammation issues, any kind of pain or, or even just, um, even bloatedness, you know, general inflammation, you can tell in your own body when you're inflamed. So I wanted to share that experience. And then again, yeah, HbA1c, if you're not sure, and you think you have a carb problem, get it, get that test. So we had the, uh, recording off for a moment, took a break after this awesome podcast and um, we usually talk about things like breasts during the break. Um, and so I thought we would just bring it right into the recording now because actually yeah. you do get a lot of comments on this, right? From well, your clients. Well, it's not just like women, from women about women's stuff or PMS. And so I want to address the women right now on the breasts for a second or just anything that might be estrogen dominance related. You know, if you've lived an unclean diet there for a while or had any kind of disease you were battling, it doesn't matter if it's like Lyme disease or hypothyroidism or anything that you might have overcome, during that time, shiz gets jacked up in your body. And sometimes it doesn't just take a primal lifestyle and strategy to overcome some of these things. So for example, for several years, uh, like uh, maybe five or seven years, I've had fibrocystic breasts, which are basically what they are is, I mean, any woman listening knows if they've had it, it's right before the period or two weeks, the last half of the cycle, you get sort of these painful nodules, bumps, like actual lumps that you can feel in your breasts. They get very sore and tender, and then you get your period, and it goes away, and the breasts go back to normal. Now, fibrocystic breasts, though, just so you know, if you have this out there as a woman, that is a serious indication of estrogen dominance, and it also is an indication of excess fibrin in the body. And when I recently got my full physical, uh, Dr. Gary Forsman does a full, like, in-depth lipid panel that includes things like HbA1c that we talked about earlier, and one of the things it also shows is excess fibrogen, which you don't want excess fibrin in the body. It's almost like thick blood. Okay. And so at the end of the day, that could contribute down the road to heart issues, blood clots, things like that. So I'm like, well, what happened here? But again, I was in a state of disease there for a while, hypothyroid and things may not have been fully cleaned up. So, uh, and I'm not suggesting people go out there and take this product, but if you do have estrogen dominance or fibrocystic breasts, you can get this fibrogen test, but also you can really look into finding an alternative or integrative doctor who understands functional medicine, maybe even a chiropractor, a lot of them do, who understands systemic enzyme therapy. I'm not talking about the digestive enzymes you take. And if you looked it up, you go, oh, L, these are the same enzymes and my digestive enzymes. 
No, it's different. Systemic, they are enteric coated. They make sure they pass through the stomach so that they can really release in your body. I just want to share with people the miraculous effects that systemic therapy has had on me for just two months. My fibrocystic breasts have completely gone away. When I got a mammogram last year, they were like, ah, you have dense breasts. We need to now do another ultrasound Mm -hmm. to really get in there. Never something you want to hear. And then they did that. I had such lumpy, painful breasts every month. They are gone. And that is literally after only 30 days of the enzymes. The other thing I noticed is about a year and a half ago, I dropped a very heavy mug right on my foot between my pinky toe and the one, you know, the one right next to it. And you know what? It never felt right after that. Like didn't even after a year, there was something weird or the weather chest, I'd feel it and it hurt. And I started to kind of get a little concerned. Like, Oh no, did I like break something? Like what happened? I still am very active, but well, I think it was just scar tissue because that's what um, systemic enzymes dissolve Mm. in Germany and Japan. They give to all their Olympic athletes. It's, it, it reduces inflammation. It helps sort of taste like a brush cleaner and it goes in like brushes and cleans out the blood. And excess fibrin is something no one wants. And it also really helps to dissolve scar tissue. And it was kind of an accidental. Honestly, I wasn't taking the systemic enzymes for the fibrocystic breasts. I was just taking them because he'd recommended as a general sort of de-inflammation. My HbA1c had been a little bit high. It was just more of a reset kind of thing. Like, hey, what's up with you? And as a result, two things went away. That awful little pain on my toe, I could almost feel the scar tissue being dissolved at one point. I was like, oh, I'm feeling that thing there again. And now I don't feel it anymore at all. And I have zero fibrocystic breasts. That's the most miraculous part of it. And, you know, I didn't even realize that fibrocystic breasts equaled estrogen dominance, you know, and someone go, oh, well, you're primal and you do this. Yeah. But again, if you've spent years in a state of disease, sometimes food doesn't nip everything in the bud. And you have to look into these things like food sensitivity or HbA1c. Oh, shit. Did I become insulin resistant? Do I need to really knock this thing down and knock it out? Yeah. You know, stop guessing, start testing. And so women out there, if you've got any kind of breast issues, dense breast issues, painful breast, nodule type of breasts. I mentioned this to a friend recently, my experience, and she goes, oh my God, I have the same thing. And I was like, well, now it's time to really then look into it because now we know that really, that's not how our breast should be. That's not natural. Um, so for whatever reason, and it probably was the disease hypothyroid state that I had been there, stuff builds up, blood gets thickened, things get out of whack. And sometimes food is, you know, and, and supplements aren't just going to change it. So, or reverse it. Um, so I can't say enough about it and, and they're very expensive. So definitely don't get out <laughs> of course, yeah. buy systemic enzymes. I mean, digestive enzymes are very cheap. Systemic enzymes are not. Mm. Um, I will mention, even though I'm not getting any kind of money to mention this product, but I will say just because it has changed my life so much. Um, the doctor gave me Vitalzyme XE, which I think can only be sort of, they can get it online, but you know, it's very expensive and, and doctors pretty much who are alternative and integrative usually have it on hand or, or will suggest it to a patient. Um, but just for women, breast stuff, just want to throw that out there. something I kind of recently learned. And it's also something I recently am recovering from after one month. And that's really amazing. And 30 days to have zero. I mean, I remember telling people at the office, and it's the only kind of workplace where we can talk about this stuff, <laughs> but I, my breast used to be so sensitive and painful and kind of, you know, more. No one could even touch them. It was really bad. Or I wouldn't just, I wish I could go to a massage therapy place and be like, please just spend an hour on my breast. Like you want, you know what I mean? They were just pay, like hurt so good, but painful. Um, and I was thinking to myself, oh my God, my breasts are so pain-free now. Literally, you could just like take a right hook to them and just punch them. And they would be like, I'd be like, whatever. I mean, it, it's been Ronda the most, Rousey, baby. it's been kind of the most miraculous thing. And again, something I wasn't aware of before and didn't think, I just thought, oh, this is me and my hormonal thing. Uh, this is not something that's abnormal and I've had it for like, I don't know, five, seven years. Maybe it's just how my body works. No, it's not natural. It's not natural to have huge nodules in your breasts and have them deflate and inflate every, every month. And it's not a cancerous thing, but it is excess fibrin and it is excess estrogen. So these are just some things I've learned. I wanted to share look into it. If you have the same problem. A good point to not accept that as normal or just deal, just kind of struggle and go through whatever health problem is. As a guy, yeah, I mean, the painful breast doesn't sound good to me, but um, <laughs> there's all kinds of things that people walk around with and their friends and loved ones are saying, maybe you should get that checked. That sounds really gnarly, dude. 
and we don't, and sometimes tragedy occurs, or aside from that, um, we carry on with problems that compromise our quality of life just because we're too lazy or we just don't have that you know, deep desire, that quest that you're on to be as healthy as possible. Because a lot of times you go on the doctor, they're not designed, they're not experts in nutrition or wellness or any of those things. They're, they're going, yay or nay, do you have a disease? And so I think that's our one-stop shopping sometimes when we don't have a bigger picture perspective. So good point there. Yeah, and, or just um, thinking something's, um, something's normal. Like I said, I just thought, oh, well, my friends don't have this, but maybe this is just my lot in life that I've got these fibrocystic breasts and I didn't even consider it as something I might be even able to change. And it's just miraculous. I mean, it's literally like it's disappeared in, in 30 days and I'm on my like third month of the enzymes, but uh, it, it was really quick. And again, unsuspected. Those two things that I felt were not intended. You know, that was not the intention when taking the enzymes, mm -hmm. but it was an added benefit that mm -hmm. happened. And that's why I learned about it. And was just, I was blown away. So Women, if you've got the breast thing, look into that. I want to end up by asking you a question now. By the way, this is, yeah, yeah I'm going to, Daniel at the office, this was his line, because we were all talking, we all share blood tests with each other at Primal Blooper, and I said, this is the only place of work where, you you know, people are showing each other their medical records, and Daniel said, yeah, it's probably the only company where a guy can say, hey, I want to see my D and not get sexually harassed, <laughs> you know, because we talk about this stuff. Uh, open, open so. progressive workplace. Yeah. Uh, so you're looking really chill. And Thank you. it's because you finished that book, which was an absolutely massive oh, undertaking. Thank you. Um, your first book. The I Paleo Thyroid Solution. It's not out yet. So my, my question is, and we're not going to get into the book. We're going to have a nice podcast that's going to go into great detail yeah, on the subject everything. of thyroid. It'll be priceless and it'll be free, but priceless information. But right now, I just want to ask, like, how did that process go? How does it feel now? I'm sure you're excited about the release of the book. And then you're going to have to start working really hard promoting it, as we all know. But right now, having, having completed that project, I know a lot of people are interested in writing, the writing process. What well, I have, thought, I have one thought on that. So I, I do listen to a lot of podcasts and some of the sort of even self-development ones that I listen to that have nothing to do with primal. You have callers call in and, and I just recently read that like 80% of Americans want to be a writer um, and and wish they could write something. Um, I was already a writer before I wrote this book, but I had never an intention of writing a book on anything. Novel, nonfiction, didn't matter. I'm a, I'm a entertainment writer. I wanted nothing to do with it. If you asked me a few years ago if I'd write a book, no thanks, never, maybe when I'm 80, but literally not an interest. When I tell people like who really want to write, this is how I look at it. It's something you cannot control. You are compelled to do. So people that are like, I want to write, but I can't. Nah, nah, nah. You know what? If you have to muster up the energy and the motivation to write, you're probably not a writer. Bueno suerte, amigo. <laughs> this is something that uh, you're compelled to do. I've never taken a writing class in my life except for sketch comedy writing. The only book that I own on writing is the screenwriter's Bible. And the only thing that's good for is it just tells you how to format. You know, it's not telling you how to develop characters. It's telling you how to write a scene when someone's on the phone or you're in a car chase or how to format it. Um, I don't believe you can also teach someone to be funny. You know, I don't believe you can teach someone necessarily to be a writer. You, I've mentored writers and you can certainly make a natural writer better. Um, for sure. Other writers have made me better, having writing partners over the years. Um, so for me, this book poured out of me from brain. Rarely even had, it just, it's, it's like a conversation that I could have had with you for hours. And it was, I was so compelled to write it. It, it, it was just, I could not write it. Do you know what I mean? On that note, it's, it's pretty large. We have a big section with Dr. Gary, Gary Forsman, who, you know, there's a Q&A with him. But aside from that, I probably could have written an 800 page book because there are so many tangential issues related to thyroid. Then there's the whole primal thing. I mean, just the chapter alone on paleo primal, you know, health, my God, I mean, I could have put the whole primal blueprint just in there within my book, you know, wish I could have just insert Mark's book in there. Um, so I really feel like I could have, you know, and that's how you should feel. That's how you should feel when you're working on a project. Doesn't matter what it is. It, it could be a sitcom. It could be a, an article, but there are times when I certainly feel unmotivated overall, like on a particular day, I might not feel like writing, but in my general life as a writer, and I've been pursuing it professionally since about 2007, 2008, it's stuff like I can't not write. Wow. Does that make sense to you? But you're a writer. You've that's written a, a ton of stuff. Uh, that's an awesome quote. I'm going to repeat that. It's something you cannot control, but are compelled to do. Yeah. And that's probably the ideal mindset. Very well captured. I get really annoyed when writers dispense their haughty advice 
knowing that you know they're they're talking to they're talking to an audience of non-writers so they have a position of superiority and they say some nonsense that you know makes people feel intimidated i remember being in college and listening to you know a guest speaker who just made you feel like crap because they were more accomplished than you and they didn't really dispense anything except for a little snide comment so you know that's pretty awesome and, and if you find that i wanted to be a writer it right. was never a conscious decision there are right. people that make it like i'm going to go be a writer because that sounds like a great thing to do <laughs> i accidentally fell into it in my life and it, mm-hmm. it again became something so natural and so compelled i'm not saying there aren't writers out there that don't force themselves to write but you know the whole like oh write an hour a day i want to talk on that note too <laughs> that's not me um, I know people who have finished books in three months by writing an hour a day and God bless them. I like full focus. I'd rather spend two weeks straight every day, all day being immersed into it. Like I'm cramming for an exam for like that kind of level of focus. Um, to me, especially something like a book or a screenplay, particularly because we're, we are looking at hundred pages, you know, 110 pages on a screenplay is something you want to immerse yourself into. And that was so much fun. So I had a lot of fun writing this book. I had fun. And I also honestly had a lot of really emotional moments along the way because I had to recall and remember the horrible times. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, I shed a lot of tears. I I had a lot of depressing moments, just crying for my old self, Mm. crying, thinking about the people that are out there suffering who don't know or who are on that same dead end path I was on. So honestly, there were times like actually, and I'm tearing up right now. I'm sure Brad can see it, but in the section of my book that I had to kind of write my story, I, I waited to the last because it was too freaking emotional mm. for me to have to mm. re go over that. And sometimes when I tell people about what it was really like, I will start crying um, because it's just so tough to think about how much I suffered and how horribly depressing and how horrible life was every day. So I'm very empathetic and I've been through every horrible symptom you could possibly have and every bout, you know, the, the two main bouts of hypothyroidism you can really get. Um, so for me, this was just like a non-issue to bust this out. You know what I mean? This was mm-hmm. something that was just so much fun for me and it was not work at all. I mean, the only thing that was work about it was really just the only thing that kind of seemed like work was just sort of, oh my gosh, here's all this information. Now, how do I organize it? Mm-hmm. And even though we have editors, there is that, that was probably the hardest part. Getting the info out, not hard at all. I mm-hmm. could write a whole nother book on top of what I just wrote. And, you know, even right now there's things every day that I'm like, oh, I should, I should, I gotta, you know, I could just keep adding to this thing. It could go on forever. But yeah, as far as people wanting to be writers, because I know a lot of people do, I also read a statistic that only maybe about 300,000 books get published a year. Okay, so we're not, I don't think we're talking about self-published there. I think we're talking about like publishers. And, you know, if 80% of the population really wants to be a writer, I don't suggest anyone take a class in writing. I think that's actually a mistake. I think if you're compelled and if you're excited about it, you'll sit down and do it. One way to make it easy that I tell everybody, if people are having a hard time sitting down, there's a lot of wasted time and a lot of giving up with writers when they sit down on the computer and they're editing as they go. You should be writing as if you're talking to your dog or your friend. I don't care if that includes swear words and horrible grammar. Get it out. Get it out first. Later. When you write a screenplay or sitcom, you never write dialogue. It is the last thing you write. You write that the first thing is a shell. It's panning the camera out. It's like, okay, this character, and we don't even name them sometimes. My my old writing partner for sitcoms, we would just be like, uh, uh, asshole, a douche, uh, you know, jock, uh, you know, jock's mom, right? We would just, because then it gets too confusing to remember whose name, but you never forget the characters. You, you piece it out overall first, like, where's it going to go here? What's it going to do? How are they going to end up? The last thing that comes is dialogue. So a lot of people trip themselves up as writers when they sit down to write, and they write a sentence and then they go back and they're re No, don't. You should see how mm. horrible the stuff I write is. It's just horrible, terrible grammar. And, you know, I'm just, I'm swearing in it, whatever. It doesn't matter. Get it out first. Edit later. Just get it out. Stop self-editing and judging along the way as a writer. That is one of the biggest trip-ups I've seen um, for people. And never, especially if you're interested in any kind of um, entertainment, you know, writing, we use software called Final Draft. Um Never put in final draft right away. It's always like Microsoft Word, 20 pages, a bunch of BS, no dialogue, mm. lock it in, then you fill in. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so those are some tips that I've shared with people I've mentored over the years who, you know, want to be writers or are writers. Um, I think what happens is that it's self-editing that really doesn't get people past the first cha- page and then they get frustrated. Stop editing yourself. Who cares what it looks like? Get the information out. Even if it's as base as you're writing a novel and it's a mystery, it's like, 
even just get a base shell. You know, Joe is going to go here, and then he's going to go there, and then this is going to happen. He's going to get an argument with this guy, then he's going to go over here, he's going to fall off a cliff, then he's going to be in the hospital, then he's going to do this. Base it out. You go baseline. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just like a shell. Then you fill it in. That's the way to go, in my opinion. L. Russ, cranking it. Author of the Paleo Thyroid Solution, coming out in June release, right? But available right. for pre-order on Amazon right now. Right if you now. want to get your it's copy up there. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, the thing about this is I've read over 30, 40 thyroid books. Um, there's only two that <laughs> I like other than the one I wrote. That, and, and there's a lot of thyroid books out there. Mm. Um, I offer a way more detailed mm. and I'm really going to share with everyone, like, how do you even look at blood tests? Mm. And then what do I do? But the number one concern, especially most females and, and people in general who went through thyroidism is, uh, thyroid issues is how am I going to lose this weight that I gained while I was jacked up mm -hmm. or how, how do I get there? Mm -hmm. How do I get healthy enough so that I can actually uh, lose the weight and feel better? Um, and it's more about that. It's about just feeling great in life. But um, I love that. I'm really excited about it. And I'm just so excited about uh, Dr. Forsman's contribution. I mean, to have a really progressive, integrative and paleo doctor, you know, to find him was just a, a real score. So all right. Thanks, El, for the time. Thank you. Thank you, listeners, for listening to the Primal Blueprint podcast. This is Brad Kearns and El Ruff signing off from Malibu. See you next time. Many health experts believe that gut bacteria represents the next breakthrough in optimizing health and immune function. When you nourish healthy intestinal flora with primal eating habits and the high-potency probiotics of primal flora, you protect yourself from the everyday illnesses and compromised digestion that are common in stressful modern life. The unique strains of probiotics and primal flora help you improve digestion and regularity, bolster immune function, and can even assist you with weight loss by optimizing fat metabolism. One daily capsule is all it takes to ensure your body is thriving with billions of healthy gut bacteria so that you can enjoy optimal health 24-7. Order Primal Flora today at PrimalBlueprint.com to take advantage of our risk-free trial.